Um, we are going to continue on in our Unshaken series, the study of the book of Jeremiah. And so hopefully you've been a part of that. If you haven't, I want to welcome you into it. We, are, uh, we still have like our devotions going through this whole series, and I want to encourage you to go to the website and start reading that. Some great stuff there to help us meditate on God's Word. I also want to just kind of start off today by reminding you of where we've been. We started this series about a month ago, and the first week, Pastor Lon opened our series, and he was kind of telling us kind of about the structure of the book, what, how the different literature, how that fit in, and then talk to us about our calling as God's people. The second week, I had the opportunity to be with you, and we were looking about where our roots grow. This was in Jeremiah 2 through 4, and understanding that where our, group, ugh, where our roots grow will determine our flourishing, okay? And then the third week, we were looking at it, and Pastor Rob took us to Jeremiah 7, and he was talking to us about our blind spots and how those blind spots can grow and, and develop and that we need to take a look at those. This week, we're going to jump a little further into the book of Jeremiah, and we're going to be in Jeremiah 15. And so that's kind of like a little overview of where we've been. It was my senior year at Moody Bible Institute. And I had my roommates, Mike and, Sean, or Mike and Chad, and a friend, Sean, and we were going to have this incredible experience together. This incredible experience came out of something that was probably a little unusual. Mike's grandmother was passing away, and so he went to be by her bedside. And as he was there, his grandma ended up calling him into the room and calling him to the bed. And it was one of these moments where he was going to have this opportunity to just have kind of a last conversation with her. Those meaningful times where somebody has lived a long life and now they get to just share a little bit or maybe some dreams for them. So Mike went in, he's talking to her, and his grandmother ends up saying, you know, Mike, I have one wish for you. And that wish is that at some point in your life, you will go to Graceland, the home of Elvis Presley. <laughs> and that you'll have the opportunity to, to go through his house. Now that seems a little unusual for a, a last dying wish. But for some senior guys, that sounded like an opportunity. So what we did is we had a plan, and that makes for a great story because when grandma talks, you got to listen. And so we ended up going to every floor and every room in all the guys' dorms with milk jugs. And we started to tell the sad story of grandma. And we said, would you get Mike to Graceland? And so we said, could you just spare some change? And people would put money in and... And I sent, I think, my wife and some other girls to the girls' dorms, and they went and told the story of Mike's grandma, and they got change. And at the end of that, we had an all-expenses-paid trip for four to Memphis, Tennessee. Now, that was, uh, that was part of the experience. And so we drove down, and we went through all the tours at Graceland. We took it all in, and we camped across the street from Graceland. We went to all these restaurants, and we had good food. But one of the lasting impressions on that trip 
was something that kind of drew my taste to some new music for me. See, Memphis, and especially Beale Street, is known for the blues. And maybe you're a blues fan, but at that time I didn't spend a lot of time listening to the blues, but I would go out and I would hear these street musicians and they would be playing. And I remember walking out of this restaurant and the Legends restaurant was just right across the street, B.B. King. And so I went in and I heard this guy playing guitar and and singing these psalms and, and taking in all of this blues music that was there. The reason blues music is is so fascinating to me is because it tells a story. I mean, when a musician is playing, not only do the words that they sing tell a story, but the the music and the way that it kind of goes up and down and, and, and just you hear all of this taking place in the blues. See, the blues tell the struggle or the stories of human experience and circumstances. One of B.B. King's most famous songs is called The Thrill is Gone. Maybe you've heard it, but it's this great song that, that talks a little bit about this broken relationship, and you can hear the ups and downs of this. And so you probably didn't realize this, but this morning I want you to hear a little bit of the blues. And so I've invited my friend Adam up, and uh, he is going to kind of listen to B.B. King, and he's going to give you just a little bit of taste of what the blues is like. So... So when you hear that, you can hear this, this uh, story of this broken relationship that is there. And whenever you hear the blues, it's this pouring out of this, e- this emotion and these hard times, the problems and the problems of these broken relationships that exist. It stirs with a lot of emotion. And so whenever you hear this, What you got to understand is that the blues lead to something. In fact, B.B. King, as he wrote psalm after psalm for the blues, he ended up seeing where the blues lead to. In fact, at one point, he said before he retired, he wanted to record a gospel album. And the reason he wanted to do that was because he was convinced that the blues lead one to gospel. As he writes, I just, I'm blown away that this this man that's writing all these different types of music realizes that the blues, those emotions, those hard times lead one to gospel. 
The reason I want you to hear that is because the blues are what we can call the modern-day laments. Laments are these statements or writings expressing this sorrow and this regret and this mourning. And so the blues today, or the laments from the Bible times, want to take us to where that pain, that loss, that frustration about circumstances, that deep inner turmoil in life, want to take us there so that it will eventually lead us to gospel. And I believe that you entered here this morning, and I entered here this morning, because each and every day we need to be led there. We need to be reminded of it, what the gospel is. And so I want to encourage you to open your Bible, turn on your Bible to Jeremiah 15. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one in front of you and turn to probably around page 770. And what we see in this chapter of Jeremiah 15 is that we see that there's some writing style and some things that are going on here. We hear God telling Jeremiah about the judgments that are coming, the things that are going to take place to his people. And then in verse 10, we get to the blues. We get to the lament of Jeremiah, and so he shares this lament, and then God responds to that lament, and after God responds, Jeremiah goes on lamenting and stating some things to God, and then the chapter responds, or the, the God responds at the end of this chapter and gets us to the only hope that we have, and that's the gospel. It points us to the gospel. And so what I want us to understand as we dive into this is that for some of us, you're coming in here and you are going through a season of lament. You're going through trials. You're going through these circumstances and it's been hard. Others of you might have just come out of it or maybe you're about ready to enter it. But in this, what I want you to understand is that Jesus allows us to experience lament he allows us to experience it so that we might flee to his gracious love. And my prayer is, is that for all of us in here, we would see that today. So Jeremiah 15, let's start at verse, uh, verse 1. Then the Lord said to me, Even if Moses and Samuel were to stand before me, my heart would not go out to this people. Send them away from my presence. Let them go, and if they ask you, where shall we go, tell them, this is what the Lord says. Those destined for death to death, those for the sword to the sword, those for starvation to starvation, those for captivity to captivity. Now I want to stop there for a moment, because I want us to see the tension that is starting at the very beginning of this chapter. The tension that is present is the ongoing broken relationship between a holy God and his wicked people. See, the beginning of chapter 15 is actually a response to Jeremiah in chapter 14. In chapter 14, what we find is that Jeremiah's role as prophet meant that he was God's messenger 
He was God's messenger for, for saying whatever God wanted to communicate to his people. On top of that, he was also an intercessor. An intercessor for his people. Now, an intercessor is someone who acts or speaks on behalf of those going through difficulty or trouble. And so that was the role of this prophet. So in chapter 14, Jeremiah is pleading to God to hold back his wrath, to not despise his people, and he's crying out to God in this. And then God shares his thoughts. God responds. And he tells him some really, really hard things. Now, if you've been reading this and you've been going through this series and reading this book, one of the things I hope you've recognized is this, that at different times, God is calling his people back. He's saying, come back to me. But a majority of the time, what we hear is not a nice, warm message. It's hard. It's a hard message. And so God is giving him these words and telling him these things, and he ends up giving Jeremiah some of the hardest things to ever say to a group of people. And so in chapter 15, we hear, not even Moses or Samuel could help these people. Why does God answer in that way? Why does he respond with these two names? Well, if you were to go back to the book of Exodus, in the book of Exodus, we see that God's people are in slavery and are being persecuted in the land of Egypt. And so God chooses Moses to be his prophet, to be his chosen man, to lead his people out of that area, out of slavery, out of persecution to the promised land. And so what happens? God does the incredible. And Moses leads the people, leads him through the through the sea, through dry land, and he leads them out into the wilderness, and they stop at the mountain of God, Mount Sinai. And as they are there, Moses is up on the mountain talking with God, and the people have already started complaining. And in that moment, they are building an idol. They're going to worship something else, something that did not deliver them. And in that, Moses starts pleading. He's the intercessor for the people and pleading that God would hold back his wrath and that he would not put his wrath on the people. And God listens and doesn't do it. If you were to jump ahead to the book of 1 Samuel, you would see that 1 Samuel has a similar experience. And so on behalf of God's people, Samuel cries out to God, please hold back your wrath, and God does it. Jeremiah is in the same role. Same role as Moses and Samuel. And so he's crying out on behalf of the people, and God is not going to change his judgment towards them. See, this can, can raise the question, what did God do to break this relationship apart? You might think that's a strange question, but we are really good at pointing the finger elsewhere. And so the question is, what did God do? And, and what we find is that God didn't do anything. He did everything for them. He was blessing them. He was caring for them. And so why did the people do this? Why did they break the relationship? It's because they lost their awe of the God Almighty who saved them, who brought them out of slavery, who brought them out of 
persecution. They lost their awe of the creator God who gives them life. And they moved in a different direction. And so the most important relationship that they were to have became the last relationship they paid attention to. And Jeremiah is having to deal with these people. And so we find that Jeremiah is that intercessory prayer warrior. But what we also realize is that the intercessory prayers of Moses and Samuel were a temporary delay. They were putting things off. So then we see what happens. Go to verse 6. God ends up saying, You have rejected me, declares the Lord. You keep on backsliding, so I will reach out and destroy you. I am tired of holding back. And so in this verse, we see what the problem is. We have this tension of a broken relationship. The problem that we see is that these people were a rejecting and backsliding people. They kept doing this. They would come back to God and then they would turn away. They would come back to God and they would turn away. And they kept relapsing into sinful behavior. And so this is important for us to see. As you enter here this morning, we have to look at this because we can often look at these situations in the scripture or maybe it's situations in other people's lives and we tend to look at it through the window. You know what happens when you look through the window? You can make judgment calls. You don't have to go deal with it out there. And so we can look at this and we can talk about how incredibly selfish these people are and we can judge them or we can look out at things that are happening around us and we can make judgment calls on it because we look through the window. But when we read this text, we have to look at it as if we're looking into a mirror. Because when we look into the mirror, everything starts reflecting back to us. And so what we need to understand is that since sin entered this world, every human being, you and I, have had the struggle of rejecting and backsliding. You and I have it. And so I feel like I have to be clear with you this morning that you come in here, you are an incredibly good-looking group of people. But you come in here, and you have one, two, three, maybe many things that are hidden in your life that keep on grabbing you and pulling you back. And every time that you respond to those very things that are in your life, the words rejecting and backsliding can be said of you, can be said of me. See, we come in here and we have these things, and so we have to look in the mirror. And so when we look at this, the, the message that Jeremiah was given to give to the people there is the same message that we have to hear. This message of calling us back to God, a God that is here to rescue and save us because a judgment is coming. So what we do in our life is that we take people or we take things or statuses or jobs, money 
or whatever the loves are in our life, and we put them on the pedestal of our heart. And when we do that, we find that those are the things that we continue to backslide on. So how can you tell what those things are in your life? Well, you can tell by thinking about what do you spend your time doing? How do you spend your money? What do you get stressed out about? What causes you anxiety? Because those things that you give that sort of time and attention to usually end up being the idols that continue to chase you. Continue to pull you back. And so I want you to answer, how are you rejecting God? What is the very thing that continues to make you be somebody that is backsliding? See, we have to answer that. And when we wrestle with those things, those sinful items, what it ends up doing is it leads us to lament. When we see those things, it it leads us to lament. So for Jeremiah, as God's prophet, he is lamenting the sins of the people, but he's also lamenting his own life. He's struggling with his own life. And so when we look at this, we have to remember that Jesus allows us to experience lament so that we might flee to his gracious love, to run towards him. And so when we look at the text, we get to verses 7 through 9, and we see that God starts telling Jeremiah, this is what's going to happen. War, death. Women are going to become widows because they're going to lose their husbands and their sons. You're going to fall into the, the hands of the enemy. And it's after that we finally see the struggle of the prophet. See, I don't know about you, but the message that Jeremiah had was a hard one for a nation. And you got to wonder, what is going through his mind? And then we get to verse 10. Look at it with me. Alas, my mother, that you gave me birth, a man with whom the whole land strives and contends. I have neither lent nor borrowed, yet everyone curses me. And so we see this beginning of the lament. And so what is the prophet saying here? What he's telling God and what he's declaring is that he wishes that he would have never been born. He didn't want, he doesn't want this call. But this call came and Pastor Lon took us there in Jeremiah 1.5. See there, God said this, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. And then we get to chapter 15, and Jeremiah is lamenting that call and rejecting that call from God. See, he's now reminding God that the whole land is against him. It's not just a couple friends. It's not just neighbors. It's just not a couple people he passes each day. The entire nation is against him. He also takes it to a circumstance. He says, I haven't lent anyone money and I haven't borrowed any money. Because just like today, back then, doing that sort of thing caused strife between relationships. And so he's saying, I haven't done that. This is, I haven't done anything like that. And the reason he's making that statement is because he's looking at his life and he's saying, 
the good actions, the good things I have done, my status is good enough for you, God. He's declaring that his works are good. His his works are good enough. And so this is where we have to understand that Jeremiah is pointing to something in him and to someone in the future. He's not perfect. Jeremiah isn't perfect. As he rejects God's call, he reveals, and what we need to understand here is that he reveals his sinfulness. And so what we understand from this is that he can't even save the people. He doesn't have the ability to save them from their sin and that the people of Jeremiah's day had the same issue we have today. We need a savior. We need someone to come and to to bridge that gap between a holy God and a sinful people. And so when we look at our sin, when you start looking in the mirror and you start saying, well, this is the thing, your sin needs to remind you of your need for a Savior. Your sin's a reminder of that need. In fact, when we go to the New Testament then, we go to the book of Hebrews, and I want you to see what it says in Hebrews 7. Because this is a pointing to Jesus. Because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood, or he's the permanent prophet, permanent intercessor. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he, is, he always lives to intercede for them. That is what Jesus has done. So we can be encouraged, okay? We can be encouraged when we read this in Jeremiah that in his weakness, the prophet's weakness, that it's showing us today our need to be rescued. Our need to be rescued and to to love and that our lament leads to gospel. So you are just like Jeremiah. You're being allowed to lament. See, Jesus allows you, he he allows you to experience the lament so that you will flee to his gracious love. It's a pointing to him. So Jeremiah's circumstances, whenever we read this, it's wreaking havoc on his desire to obey, on his call, on who he is, his God-given purpose. But if you notice, God allows him to dwell there. To dwell there. And so for you, as you enter here, where are you dwelling? What is it that you're sitting in right now? What are the experiences that are are happening there? See, are your circumstances hard? Is it wreaking havoc on your faith, on your desire to obey God, on your desire to even have a relationship with God? Maybe it's wreaking havoc on on your purpose as a disciple of him. When we look at this, we have to understand what it means for us. Several years ago, I was in a season of life where I felt like everything I was doing, whether it was in work or at home or some situations with extended family, uh, relationships elsewhere, that it was one of the worst seasons of my life. 
And I was breaking down. I was in the depths, and I can remember a conversation with my wife. My wife, Angie, being led by the Spirit, came to me to talk to me about some of this because there were things that I was doing where I was saying, I don't want this. I didn't ask for this. I don't want this anymore. And she reminded me that possibly God is allowing you to go through this because he wants to mold you in certain ways that the good wouldn't do. It's usually pretty good when your wife is right. But see, because of that, it was during those types of seasons that I had to recognize that I have to leave the circumstances and those seasons of life in the hands of the Almighty God. And that at times we want to, and if you are at this place, if you are ready to grab those situations by your own power, grab a hold of them to go by your own wisdom, by, by your own strength, I got to remind you that all those things are very little in your life. Don't do it. Release those things to the Almighty God that has rescued person after person, after person, for generations. So when we look at this, we have to understand why we have to release. So you look at verse 11. When you get to verse 11, the first thing that God says to Jeremiah after Jeremiah is wishing that he would never have been born, that everybody's against him, God says, surely I will deliver you for a good purpose. The first words. What's the saying? God has him. God has control. The message is hard for the people, but I have you. You can't do it on your own. But I have you. In fact, see, Jeremiah is told that the people will eventually come back to him and seek him out. But he is not to turn his attention to them and, and rely on their loving him. He is to stay focused on God. See, I don't know about you, but we don't like discomfort. I'm a baby when I'm sick. You know, whenever discomfort comes into our life, we want to get rid of it really quickly. Or, you know, maybe some discomfort comes to a family member or a friend, and we want to get rid of it as quickly as possible. There's something in us that we just, we don't want to struggle with it. This happens different times in my life and in my marriage. My wife will call me and she'll present a problem at hand. So I'm listening to her talk to me about the problem. And I know I'm not the only man in here that does this, but what's the first thing that we do as men? I have a five-step process to fix her issue. And I mean, I have the whole outline in my head. You do this step, this step, and this step, everything's going to be great. Let's get rid of this issue and be done with it. And it's usually at that time that I hear her voice say, I called you for you just to listen. I don't need you to fix it. The problem is, is that we want to fix. We want to fix everything because we don't want to dwell in the discomfort. We want to make things easier, but 
what we find here in Jeremiah 15 is that God doesn't do that. He doesn't look at Jeremiah and go, oh, okay, you're complaining about this? You got it, man. Totally changing everything now. He allows Jeremiah to sit there, and then God continues. And he tells him about the pain that will come. I mean, more pain that's going to come to the nation, and Jeremiah's sitting there hearing this, and what we get to in Jeremiah 15, verse 15, is that Jeremiah continues to lament. Read this with me. Lord, you understand. Remember me and care for me. Avenge me on my persecutors. You are long-suffering. Do not take me away. Think of how I suffer reproach for your sake. When your words came, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight. For I bear your name, Lord God Almighty. I never sat in the company of revelers, never made merry with them. I sat alone because your hand was on me and you had filled me with indignation. Why is my pain unending and my wound grievous and incurable? You are to me like a deceptive brook, like a spring that fails. So we see this, and, and Jeremiah is doing something here. He's asking for God to avenge him, to take his wrath out on the people and to all the people around him. And he even says, don't let me die before this happens because I want to see it. The problem is Jeremiah is to be the prophet for all the people, not just the people he chooses, but to all the people. And this points us again to the New Testament that Jeremiah can't save because he isn't perfect, but we need a perfect intercessor who is here for all the enemies. It points us to Jesus. As Jesus came as the perfect intercessor and the healer and rescuer, we see this played out at the end of Jesus' life in Luke 23, where we come and he's at the cross and all his enemies are around him. His enemies have nailed the, the nails into his hands and feet. And instead of saying, God, avenge me, what does he say? He says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Jeremiah's heart isn't for his enemies. Jesus' heart is for all of his enemies. He comes as the perfect rescuer. And what we have to understand in the midst of all this is that Jesus allows us to experience lament so that we might flee to his gracious love. And so Jeremiah continues this lamenting and reminding God that he, he loved God's word. He ate God's word. He took all of it in. He enjoyed it. See, this section where, where Jeremiah is saying all this, it reminds me of what we do as kids. I now experience it from the parents' side. But as kids, what did we do? When we wanted something, we would praise our parents. Right? We come, Dad, Mom, you are the greatest parents. I mean, you are so cooler than John's parents, you know? And we start building them up. This is really hard because my parents are actually sitting in here. But we build them up, right? So that we can then ask for something in the hope that they'll change the circumstance and change the decision. And Jeremiah is doing that right here. And then we get to the end of it. And what does he do? He tells God. He goes from this, you know, build them up, ask this to bitterness. And he tells God, you're a liar. You're a liar. 
See, it's in these moments that the, the blues, the laments come out. These things come out, and we have to travel down that path so that we can get to the gospel. What Jeremiah reminds us of is that not everything that godly people pray for happens the way that godly people want wants it to happen. God has a will and a purpose, and, and so he allows us to lament in this to lead us to his gospel. And so where is that? Well, it's found in verse 19. Therefore, this is what the Lord says, if you repent, I will restore you that you may serve me. If you utter worthy, not worthless words, you will be my spokesman. Let this people turn to you, but you must not turn to them. I will make you a wall to this people, a fortified wall of bronze. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you. For I am with you to rescue and save you, declares the Lord. So Jeremiah is now being faced. What God's doing is saying, hey, that message I've been giving you to, to say to the people, yeah, yeah, stop for a second, because that's the message that you have to respond to. Jeremiah is about ready to lose his role as prophet. And God's saying, stop for a second, remember this message, come back to me. And so what we end up finding there is that the only hope, this is a pointing, the only hope is the person of Jesus Christ. And we find that by doing repentance. See, repentance plus restoration equals serving the Almighty God. What is repentance? Repentance is turning from our ways, turning away from the things that we've been about, the sinfulness, and turning to God for forgiveness. And when that happens, then restoration begins. And it's not restoration that you can bring about, it's restoration that God brings about. And that, that broken relationship that we've lamented on is healed. And when that's healed, then we have the ability to serve the God Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. See, God reminds him and us that when this happens, when these things take place, he is always with us, he will always rescue us, and he will always love us. When you're one of God's children, you're not promised ease. You're not promised an easy life. You live in a broken world, and because of that broken world, we have to go through the blues because they lead to gospel. Jesus has to allow us to experience lament so that we will run to his gracious love. Because oftentimes when the good's there, we depend on our own strength depend on our own works, and we need his love, his mercy. So the question for you and for me is, are we going to repent from those things that are rejecting and backsliding? And so I want to beg you to do some work with God, to repent so that this can be a place, and so your life can be an offering to serve him, because he will restore you. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the work that you do.
Thank you for who you are and how you care for us. And I ask God that that as we go through these times of struggle, for some of us we're lamenting right now, that you would remind us of your presence, that we would dwell there, and that it would lead us to your gospel, this gospel of rescuing every single person, every enemy of yours, that that's your heart's desire. And so may we find comfort in you. It's your name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us as we close?